When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, let's start this, Rico, with something we can all agree on. We can all say it in unison. I hate the effing Braves. Do, do we all agree with that? I mean, everything about the Atlanta Braves. And I know that after the late 90s, early 2000s, maybe the hatred kind of dimmed a little bit. You almost forgot about the Atlanta Braves. The Mets and the Braves were two division rivals, but they were really like two ships passing each other in the night. But over the last couple of years, the hatred is back. And and even over the weekend, as the Atlanta Braves were just destroying us, taking our soul, shoving it down our throat, every imaginable description you can come up with. I still walked into Citi Field on Sunday night, my first Met game at Citi in a couple of weeks, aching for a win. I got to be honest with you, aching for a win because I hate this freaking team. I hate the Braves. I hate Ozzie Albies. Ozzie Albies after the doubleheader sweep, and I forget exactly what he said, but essentially was, oh, we love beating the Mets. We can't stand the Mets. So Bobby Cox may not be in that managerial office anymore. Greg Maddox may not be getting strikes six inches off the plate anymore. Chipper Jones may not be telling Mets fans to put their Yankee hats on anymore. The names may have changed, but God, I hate everybody. I, everything about the Braves I hate. I hate looking at Matt Olson. Like, just his face bothers me. And Matt Olson is new to this. I mean, he's only been a Brave for what feels like 30 seconds, but how many times has he hit 500-foot home runs against us? So I just want to get that out of the way, that as irrelevant as these games may be to a lot of Met fans, we may be more focused on the draft and, hey, can they finish with a top, bottom six record? Can they win the lottery? All the, you know, the factors in that. I still look at Mets Braves, and I want to win. In this series up until Sunday night, and really even including Sunday because it was a lucky win, it was just a disaster. Everything about it. After they went two out of three against a quality Cubs team, my hope was, all right, they lost five out of six against Atlanta earlier this season. The sweep is really what derailed everything going back to June. They lost two out of three to them earlier this season. They were one in five against the Braves. I sat down Friday night on the beach of Oak Island, North Carolina, and I said to myself, can we beat this team a couple times? I'm not, I'm not looking to sweep the Atlanta Braves. I know that's unrealistic, but can we go out there and punch them in the face a little bit? Can we do that? And everything about that first game, everything about that first game was what's wrong with the Mets this season and what's been wrong against the Mets against the Braves for what seems like forever. You are given 150,000 opportunities against the crappy Charlie Morton, a guy you should be motivated to kick the ass of because he helped derail this season by drilling Pete Alonso back in that series in June. He walks two guys in the first inning they can't score a run because Daniel Vogelback exists and has to play every freaking day. You get two on and nobody out in the second inning. 
You get bases loaded two out in the second inning, and you get nothing. You get a leadoff walk by Morton in the fourth inning. You get nothing. I mean, Charlie Morton walked seven guys in five innings, and the Mets couldn't do anything. They left 117 people on base Friday. It was a historical performance. I think Gary Cohen said it in game one of the doubleheader, that when you count the amount of base runners the Mets had over nine innings on Friday night against Atlanta, and then remind yourself that they couldn't score one effing run, that was the definition of ineptitude. And when you think about why the Mets have failed this season, how the Mets collapsed in 2021, the Mets' issues even in that weird 2020 season, it always seems to come back to leaving a million people on base and not being able to get the big hit. And what made Friday so frustrating is that, you know, Tyler McGill's getting through a little bit of trouble. It's a 0-0 game. The Braves score three runs. Now it's 3 nothing. And really because of their bad defense. I mean, how bad was their defense in the fourth inning of this game? You got who was playing center field? I think that was Rafael Ortega that night. I'm trying to remember because they had a scratch in their lineup. Lindor came out. Actually, it may have been Nimmo. No, because Nimmo got scratched. I forget who got scratched. Didn't they have like a bunch of guys get scratched on Friday? Brandon Nimmo. No, no, it was just Lindor on Friday. And Nimmo's been dealing with this, uh, whatever, the, the, the balls issue, the groin issue, whatever it is. Yeah. To where he's been moved off center field and he's been playing left field recently. But Lindor gets scratched. And the Met defense, it was Nimmo. That's who it was. Brandon Nimmo, who's had a very bad year defensively in center field. I'd actually say a weird year defensively. Because earlier this season, he made a lot of really big defensive plays. Kind of building off last year. Remember that great catch against the Dodgers? He had the drop, I think, against the Phillies. He had a miscue against the Yankees. And he commits a big error in the fourth inning that took Tyler McGill's performance and flushed it down the toilet. But the point was, they couldn't score a freaking run. And that's with Charlie Morton giving them 115 base runners. And what was really pathetic about Friday and pissed me off about Friday, and I hate to go back to this one guy, because this one guy should not be in our lives anymore, better not be in our lives next season. And I remember at the beginning of the year believing that this guy could at least give the Mets some production against right-handed pitching. And boy, was I wrong about that. And that's Daniel Vogelback. Friday night, in a lot of ways, was the Daniel Vogelback game. Two on, two out, first inning, strikeout. Two on, one out, third inning, strikeout. Fifth inning, strikeout. Two on, two out, seventh inning, line out to right field, and then fittingly ends the game by striking out and looking completing the golden sombrero and completing, I mean, really, of all the Vogelbackian performances we've seen this year, in a lot of ways, Friday night was his night. He got booed by this crowd every time he struck out. Every big opportunity seemed to find him. At that point, I actually felt bad for him. I thought, I was thinking, you know what? Can they put this man out of his misery and DFA him for his own good? Forget about how it would be nice for us, and it'd be nice for us as Mets fans. I don't have to watch him anymore. And then Buck basically starts him every game in this series. Buck Showalter has decided, you know what? I'm going to force feed Daniel Vogelback down everybody's throat 
even though he's shown no sign of life. And don't give me his three-run home run on, on Saturday in the doubleheader. I don't want to hear about it. I mean, up until the Mets started scoring runs on Sunday, Daniel Vogelback was actually responsible for the only runs the Mets produced against Atlanta. But stop with that. They would down, What would they down like 13 nothing when he hit that three-run home run before Danny Mendick decided, ah, let's make this a football game. Yeah, it was 13 to 3 when he when he hit that home run. It was beautiful. 13 nothing when he hit the home run. Right. Well, yeah, he made it 13 3. Yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, listen, <laughs> let's let, let, let's let's sit here for one second and really dissect what the hell is going on with his roster that they still have the balls to throw out Daniel Vogelback at all. Like they haven't DFA'd him. Like and, and this is just a, a microcosm of what's wrong with this team. Is for some reason the the best example of someone who should not be playing at all, and yet he's been the m- most consistent player on this team. Him and Nimmo have it, played. It, they, they, he plays all the time. And well, he's don't, don't, been, don't 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 compare the two. I'm I know not, Nimmo no. has not had a good year, and we'll no, get no, to no, him. But, but don't but, compare the two. Guys. No, but but I'm saying he's a he's a regular player. He's a, right. he's, a, he's a regular. Well, he's not only a regular player and is basically in the lineup every single day. They bat him fifth. <laughs> they, they bat him behind Pete Alonzo, who now is starting to not get pitched to very often because Pete's gotten hot and managers are going to say, why would we let Pete Alonzo beat us when Daniel Vogelback is sitting there on deck? It's, it's added insult to injury in a season that's been terrible. That's what it has. He's not the reason necessarily why the Mets are in the position that they're in. But I naively thought that once the trade deadline passed and once they started dumping players, I didn't obviously think they were going to dump everybody, but I certainly thought Mark Canna, Tommy Pham were going to be moved, that this would lead to them finally saying, you know what, enough of Daniel Vogelbach. Just enough. We're going to DFA him or he's just going to sit on the bench, be a left-handed bat off the bench, and we're going to elevate Ronnie Mauricio and give him a look-see. And they haven't done that. And Brett Beatty's sitting there in AAA now, obviously, as we discussed on the last Rico. So you look at who's on the roster, and your options are D.H. Alvarez or Narvaez. That's one option, which they haven't done recently. Narvaez plays, Alvarez sits when Alvarez isn't catching. Your other option is just D.H. D.J. Stewart. The other option, which I've been starting to think about recently, even though he sucks, is play Tim LaCastro in the outfield and DH an injured Brandon Nimmo. Honestly, any option would be better than Vogelback. But Friday night, which I sat down, I had a frozen drink. I got my scorebook out. It's my last night on vacation. Everybody's passed out. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching the Mets leave 16 guys on base and score zero runs and get shut out by a team that just makes my blood boil. I can't, I can't stand the Braves. They, they are so far and away right now, the team I hate the most, that if we are, are forced to have to watch another Braves-Phillies postseason series, and last year, I got to be honest with you, I found myself rooting for the Braves because I hate the Phillies. I've turned. If, I, if we are force-fed, We'll do a whole podcast about this, by the way, in October. Who should we root for? Like we did last year if the Mets got eliminated. But I lean towards, I'd root for anybody against the Braves. I would. The Braves are playing the Yankees this week. Let's go Yankees. I mean, geez. 
And then you look at Saturday. So Saturday was my drive home day from North Carolina. So I didn't score any of these games. I listened and sort of watched while I took breaks from driving. But the 21 to three game was just, (laughs) I, I was thinking to myself, thank God I wasn't there. Thank God, like, my vacation didn't end two days earlier, and I decided, you know what would be fun? Let's spend a Saturday afternoon at City Field. That was an unmitigated disaster. We almost forgot Denny Reyes was in our lives. We all remember Denny Reyes. I just thought we were never going to see him again. But, boy, did we see him again. And then, of course, Danny Mendick with his 65 on our EFAS pitch lets the game get completely out of hand. And you could tell with this brave team. And Ozzie Albies, I, I guess there's a part of me that respects it. He admitted that he hates us. They hate us. They don't like us for whatever reason. It's New York. It's the Mets. They're still pissed at our colleague Sal for his uh, least is over last year. I don't know what the reason is, but they freaking hate us. And you could tell. You know what that ninth inning on Saturday in game one reminded me of? For, for any of you listening who was a Met and Jet fan, it reminded me of Belichick running up the score against us, which Bill has done many, many times over the years because he can. Because he knows, hey, we're so much better. Not, not anymore, but we are so much better than this crappy Jet team. That fourth quarter up by 30, F it. We're just going to run up the score, which they did back in 2010, that Monday night game. It was either a Monday or a Thursday night game. It was a primetime game that Joe and I went to in Foxborough. 45-3 game. Bill just ran up the score. And I get the sense from the Braves. They looked at Danny Mendick on the mound and said, we do not care who is pitching. We want to destroy the New York Mets. And they did. And they did. And then the nightcap, we couldn't figure out Spencer Strider, which the Mets have had success against him in the past. Jose Quintana was fine. But think about it. You play three games. You score three runs in the three games. The three runs is a garbage time home run by the biggest POC on this Met team, Daniel Vogelback. And you get outscored 34 to 3. 34 to 3. <laughs> and Pete, I still came back from vacation and said, you know what I want to do? I want to go to Sunday night's game, Mets-Braves. I just need to be in the building because I've missed this entire homestand being on vacation. I got to be there Sunday night. Kodai Senga's on the mound. Let's go. So I went to City Field, and let's all be honest. When Marcelo Zuna, who is the biggest douche walking, I mean, I, you have to cross your fingers, close your eyes, and hold your nose to root for such a scumbag like Marcelo Zuna. But I get it in sports. Sometimes you got to do that, right? He's wearing your uniform. What are you going to do? But Marcelo Zuna rips that bases-clearing double in the first inning. And I'm chuckling to myself. I'm chuckling like, holy crap, this is going to get worse. None of us thought that A, Kodai would settle down and pitch as well as he pitched. And none of us thought that even against Yanni Chirinos, the Mets would figure out a way to come back, tie the game, and eventually take the lead and hold on. None of us thought that. So Sunday night, I don't want to say it cleansed the palate because it really didn't. In a lot of ways, I'm still thoroughly embarrassed by what I witnessed this weekend. They still lost three out of four to Atlanta. They were lucky to win the Sunday night game. But it was stunning that after giving up the three runs in the first inning, A, Kodai pitched outstanding after that. 
And I give him a lot of credit for that. You know, after he gives up the double to Ozuna, he goes to work. He retired. Let me count it up. Two, five, eight, 11, 13 guys in a row. And was efficient. He kept the pitch count reasonable to the point where he was able to get through the sixth inning, helped out by a tremendous defensive play by Pete Alonso, a great defensive play on that rip by Eddie Rosario. And the Met offense, I guess I'll give him a little bit of credit. They were very, very lucky, if we're all being honest. Yeah, Jeff McNeil had a big night. His second hit was the RBI single that made it 3-1. to one. But you go back to that fifth inning. You get the first two guys on base. Lindor grounds into what should be a double play ball. But I think Albies just didn't get over to second in time. So it turned into a fielder's choice, one-run scores. And then Chirinos loses the strike zone. When you issue back-to-back walks on nine pitches, that's bad enough with the bases loaded. When you do it against Daniel Vogelback and Omar Narvaez, that is a gift as I point to the sky from the baseball guys. So I'm glad they got it because they were able to tie the game and take the lead. But that is the definition of lucky. And then the luck continues. You get Viento strong a bases loaded walk against Colin McHugh. You get the odd catcher's interference with DJ Stewart at the plate. And then finally, just so there could be something impressive from that big inning, Rafael Ortega rips the two-run single. And the Mets put together the six-run fifth inning and then hold on for dear life because it wasn't easy. After Senga comes out of the game after six, which I get, 107 pitches, you see a bullpen that is going to need a major, major upgrade next season. Hartwig gives up the bomb to Sean Murphy. He gives up a double to Austin Riley. Brooks Raley gives up a home run to Matt Olson. that is still traveling. What an absolute, I think Carabas calls it a piss missile which I don't really like the name Piss Missile, but for this Olsen home run, I thought that was a proper description. So I give Carabas all the credit for that term. Gives up an absolute Piss Missile to Matt Olsen. And when Drew Smith comes into the game with the tying run on first and the lead run at the plate, I see Sean Murphy hitting another two-run home run. That's what I see. And Drew gets him to fly out. And then Adam Adovino stunningly gives you the easiest one, two, three, ninth thing we've ever seen. And the Mets win a baseball game that I'm glad they won. Glad they won the game. But it really doesn't ease the ugliness of what this weekend was. They still got completely pummeled by their daddies. And the Atlanta Braves, for as long as I've understood baseball, for as long as realignment occurred in 1994, I'll go back to that. Because before that, in the few years I understood baseball before that, The Mets and Braves had, they were in different divisions. It didn't matter. But since they started sharing a division in 1994, they are our daddies. Yeah, and to to quote the great Joe Beningo, you can change the manager. You can change the stadiums, because they've had a few of them. You could change the Homer announcers. You can change the players. You could change whatever you want. The Braves continuously bitch slap us, and it's infuriating. I mean, what am I supposed to say as a fan? I mean, I, I can't even talk trash. I got great respect for the Braves. They're a hell of a team. I mean, they're, they're freaking loaded. The only guy I don't respect is Marcelo Zuna, which I'm sure Brave fans agree with me on. I don't think that's a dispute. They, they know they got to hold their nose to watch him play baseball, and it's fine. Like, we, we all kind of have to do it at one point with a player. 
but they are so loaded. And you know what I can't get over, Pete? A year ago at this time, the New York Mets were better than the Atlanta Braves. They had a better record. They were more successful against them in the head-to-head matchups that they had. It was close, don't get me wrong, but the Mets, in every tangible way, were better than the Atlanta Braves. Obviously, that started to change right around this time. It was probably right after Labor Day against that Dodgers series, which kind of bled into Labor Day weekend. After that, everything changed. But now, forget about the Braves being better. That's obvious. They're far better. They're in a different stratosphere. And it boggles my mind that a year ago, the Mets were not just competing with the Braves. They were slightly ahead of the Braves. That seems so foreign right now when you look at these two teams on the same field. Yeah, I mean, you, you ch- like you said, you change the names on the back of the jersey. doesn't make a difference. They're, they're always the thorn in the side. And, I, dude, I think think there was a, a um, ESPN broadcast that I think I put up some stat about what the two records have been over the past two seasons. Uh, and the, the Braves are like a – they have like 75 losses. I forgot how many wins they have. But basically, the, the Mets are like a, a 500. Yeah. over the and, and I just don't understand how a team, I do now, they're so bad because they got rid of, they're playing scrubs right now. But 101 wins turned into this. It's so outrageous to think that that was even going to happen. How close they were to winning the division last year and the fall of grace that they are at right now. It's disgusting. And I turned the game on like you did. However, well, you were at the game. I turned the game on and I watched it, not because I wanted to see them win. I wanted to see them get smoked again because I got to be honest, this is a bad taste in my mouth. You don't go out there and win the final game and be like, oh, I, we, we got a victory out of it. No, I'm sorry. Like, I need the Mets players. I need Steve Cohen. I need Billy Epler, Buck Showalter. I need them to be embarrassed by this. Because, again, I keep on going back to it. It's unacceptable. And I don't think they they view it as that. 